Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. Well, let me start with telling you, in 2011, uh, 2011, uh, was really my first real in-depth um, battle with the subject of depression. And uh, it had been building for a couple of years, uh, a couple of highlights. I don't want to really get too far into it. But the previous church that I had pastored, you've heard me talk about it. It was an incredible ministry um, with um, a, a ministry with 136 ministries under its umbrella 13 buildings on one campus, and just a lot of things going. We pastored that church for 13 years and seen God do some amazing things. Long story short, I end up in the valley pastoring, and a couple years into me being here, the pastor that had taken my place there had a very, very publicly national, public spotlight moral failure, and um, in that church crumbled that church split and that church uh, almost ceased to exist there's a handful that still meet well while that was happening um, you know how many know as uh, as humans we always need somebody to blame besides ourselves and the and, and two years after I had been gone the hate mail began to come to me that if I would have never left then the church would never be in this situation. How I many know that's unrealistic expectations to put on somebody, right? But I wasn't mature enough in my own heart at the time to really, um, to not shoulder that weight. One of the things I've learned through counseling over my years is that I have a tendency to take too much responsibility for too many things as I did in that situation. Also what happened as the church began to crumble there uh, they got in major financial problem. Uh, that church needed about $200,000 every month to operate all of those ministries, and you start missing those cylinders and things go bad. Well, they still had all my credit card numbers, and the church, in order to survive, they used my credit card numbers over the phone to the tune of almost $60,000 that the credit card companies now came to me because it was my cards, the church was no longer in existence, and the people that I loved and had done life with for 13 years, uh, I just felt betrayed. Have you ever felt betrayed, anybody? And so now I'm responsible for $58,000, making about a quarter of the salary that I used to uh, had been making, and just a number of things that happened and I'm going to tell you, it all came to a head in 2011 when things that I won't talk about uh, here uh, began to happen in our ministry here. And, and how many know, if you're not careful, you can take the wounds of one situation and transfer them into another situation? Come on. How many know <laughs> you can take the wounds of a previous relationship and take them out on a new relationship? I know none of you have ever done that, but let me talk to you about my baggage. All right, everybody? Don't you love it when I talk about how imperfect I am? Doesn't it make you feel so much better about your issues? Right, everybody? That's why I'll never run out of sermon material. I got all kind of them, right? Uh, and so I, I'm a little bit embarrassed to say now um, but I, I think that God will use it, I hope, to help others, is that in 2011, things came crashing to a head, and I left a denomination that I had um, uh, really had gotten a lot of national recognition in. I was kind of uh, very well spoken of in the denomination. I left that denomination. I resigned my church. Uh, not only did I resign my church, but because of some of the things uh, I remain silent. One of the things that pastors have to do m many times is remain silent about some of the nasties because it only hurts everybody else when you try to defend yourself. But how many know when you remain silent, people love to backfill the narrative? Narrative that years later will still come back to you. Come on now. Has anybody been in that boat? And so in 2011, I, I never thought of uh, ending my life um, but I was seriously contemplating ending my ministry life. I was done. 
Um, and, 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 and for the first time ever in my life, I'd never experienced this, for the first time, I slid down really deep into a very dark, depressed place. And, and looking back on it now, it's, it's, almost, it's almost weird to talk about that. Uh, because I used to be, until that had happened, I used to be kind of the person, I hate to say, that didn't have a lot of empathy for those that were in depression because I didn't understand that there's a lot of reason. I didn't understand the whole. And, and so I just didn't have empathy. And I hate to admit it, but I was the kind of personality that would say, okay, take these three points from this great sermon and call me on Monday. In other words, get over it. If you can change your mind, you can change your outcome. But how many know some problems don't get solved in one sermon and one prayer meeting? Can I get an amen, right? I've been talking a lot lately. Many of you have heard me say a lot of things lately that there has been an epidemic in the last couple of years of depression amongst clergy. And then that has translated into some people that I've known and friends that are connected of pastors that have ended their life. They have ended their ministry. They have purposely had failures so they could leave ministry. If that's happening under the spotlight, I wonder how much of that is happening in places where the spotlight is not shining. I think we need to talk about it. Would you agree with me, right? The reason I bring all that history up is because now I'm going to tell you that in 2020, right about in the middle of the pandemic, I felt some of those old feelings that came from 2011 starting to creep in. Now, it's not wrong for you to be tempted. It's not wrong for wrong feelings to come your way. I hope what we learn in life and what I learned from 2011 is to be aware of those signals. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? So during 2020, I felt some of those very same symptoms coming up. I had some pretty severe uh, uh, physical injuries that are requiring a couple surgeries. There was a short little window of about 30 days. They thought that I had, um, they thought that I had thyroid cancer, and so that was a weird little time. And this was all during the pandemic, so I wasn't around all my peeps. How many know what I'm talking about? Because the devil loves to isolate, whether it's right. And, and so, so I had some physical injuries. People in the church had moved away. Uh, during the pandemic and we didn't get to say goodbye we had people in our church that passed away because of the pandemic that we didn't get to go see in the hospital and pray with the family my own father who I didn't get to see for about five months he passed away during the pandemic and I didn't get to see him nor did we get to have a memorial service for him all the social issues all the political issues and, um, and, and trying to manage the tension between people that are a part of your family of God, but one brother is mad because you had to wear a mask, and the other brother is mad because you didn't enforce somebody wearing a mask. Hello, welcome to my world. <laughs> and managing the tension of two people that love God with all their heart, but we have as many opinions about everything going on as there are people in the room. And how many know those opinions can get pretty intense? Come on now. And the Bible verse that you try to use with one person, the other person thinks it's misinterpreted. You know what I'm talking about, right? And so there was no church attendance for months. I spoke to a camera with nobody in the room. I had no idea. Churches were closed and gyms were closed. That's the only two things I care about. And I couldn't do either one. My holy sanctuary and my iron sanctuary. I couldn't do either one of them. And, uh, and not to mention the haters everywhere. And, 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 but because of what I went through in 2011, I was quickly able to get my footing and recognize the enemy's attacks. Come on now. And so some of what I want to talk to you about over the next few weeks comes from that time. Um, I want us to be able to care for our soul. Our soul is really our emotions, okay? My definition for soul is different than a lot of people think the soul is the spirit. They're different things, okay? We have a body, a spirit, and a soul. Some people might say heart. 
Our soul is where our emotions reside. It's our psyche. It's our appetites, okay? So we're going to primarily deal with that. During the pandemic, mental health hotlines rose 900% during the pandemic of 2020. Alcohol sales went through the roof. Uh, Domestic violence and the use of pornography went off the charts. And divorce was up 20% in the year 2020. 20. Come on. How many know the devil was really happy in 2020? He was really happy that people would rather not come to church because you had to come to church with a mask on. Come on now. I think the devil won a few too many battles on that one. Would anybody agree with me on that? And, and there are some very, now I understand as we begin to open this can of worms, there are some very real reasons and biological reasons for depression. I understand that. Uh, but I also know that there is a real stigma around the issue. And, and it's almost people are afraid to say something about depression because there's always been a stigma around that issue. And I hope that this series will cause that to end because where else can you go and talk about your discouragement if you can't come to a brother and sister in the Lord? Can I get an amen on that, right? According to uh, the psychiatrist Minerth Meyer, some of you have heard of the Minerth Meyer Clinic, uh, the majority of Americans will suffer from a serious depression at some point in their lives. Even the type A personality, glass half full, all those kinds, because I would consider myself that. But as much as, as, as much as I'm a passionate, upbeat person, it took me that low also. And so that's why it's important. And if this series doesn't relate to you right now, live a little longer. I'm not trying to tell you you're going to have a bad day, but wouldn't it be good that if you had a bad day, you had something in your hip pocket? Come on, right, everybody? Okay. So I'm going to give you some things that aren't necessarily like... Uh, biblical or at least out of scripture but let me start with some clues what depression might look like again i'm not a a, a clinical psychologist i'm not any of that these are just things that i've gathered from being a pastor and from reading and from talking with people and and so um, these might be some things that you look out for in your life or in the lives of those people that you love this is just a quick list Okay, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, so here they are. You can take a picture of them when I get there. Number one is a persistent, sad, or anxious mood. I'm not talking about being anxious one day about one thing or being sad one day. I'm going to define later the word sad. It's, there's actually a definition like having the blues. There's a, there's a real thing, okay? Number two is uh, sleeplessness. Number three, reduced appetite and weight loss. Some people wouldn't mind that symptom at all. <laughs> Here's a crazy little story real quick. When I had COVID, I lost my taste and smell. Did anybody else lose their taste and smell? So I had no smell. This is just a little trivia. I'll tell you a little bit about me. So I had no smell at all for four months. All right. Do you know how bad it'll send you into depression that you can't smell your morning coffee? How many know what I'm talking about? Right. And so I was like, Lord, I want my smell back. About two weeks ago, my smell started coming back. The problem is I got what the doctors call parosmia. Parosmia is everything stinks. I don't know if it's worse to have no smell or everything stinks. And everything stinks in a way of a smell I've never had before. My coffee stinks. My shaving cream stinks. I know I didn't shave tonight. It stinks. All right, everybody? My shampoo, I mean my soap, it stinks. My toothpaste stinks. My mouthwash stinks. My eggs in the morning stink. It's hard to eat when everything stinks. You guys stink. No, you don't really. I'm just just seeing if you are paying attention, all right? All right, so it is, pray for me. I, got, I want my coffee back, everybody. I walked into the church, and they're making coffee. I'm like, man, I almost threw up in here, all right? All right, number four is increased appetite and weight gain. Uh, number five is sexual disinterest. Number six, these are just some signs, loss of pleasure in things that we once enjoyed, hobbies and those kind of things. Number seven, Uh, difficulty making decisions 
concentrate. I know when I was in my, my state, my wife would ask me, what do you want for dinner? And I literally could not choose between hamburgers and pork chops. It was just like, I, I, I don't know. I just, I couldn't do it. Okay, number eight is uh, fatigue and no energy. Number nine is feeling guilty, hopeless, and condemned. That's dangerous. That's super dangerous right there. Number 10, these are just a few thoughts of suicide or death. If you're watching online or if you're sitting in this audience and you have thoughts of suicide or death, can I, implore, can I beg you, live another day. Can I beg you, just live another week. Just, just get through this series with me and just keep putting one foot in front of the other. And I'm believing God is going to reveal Himself to you in a way that perhaps you've never seen. And maybe you're tuned in right now just as a reminder that God loves you. He has a plan for your life. And where you're at is not where you have to stay. Can I get an amen on that, everybody? Um, now, I like to say it this way. For me, I like to put it in this category that depression is kind of like the indicator light on the dashboard of your car. <laughs> Oh, there's an indicator light on the dashboard. I didn't know that. Okay, that means pull over. Something is wrong, all right? Okay, just in case you didn't know. I've been driving my car for 100,000 miles. That thing's been flashing at me forever. I don't know. Well, depression is the indicator light that something is, is kind of out of balance, that, that something is disturbing uh, the, what God has created, how you're running. Um, I want to do this real quick. I want to break this into some categories because uh, all depression is not the same and it doesn't, it doesn't grow from the same place in our life. Uh, some depression is because, comes out of our... We're made up... We believe in the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He made us in His image. We're made in three parts. We, got a, we have a body, we have a soul, and we have a spirit. When our body is born... Uh, our soul, our mind needs to be reborn, and our spirit can be reborn when we give our life to Christ. Depression can stem from one of those three areas also. So depression can come from uh, the body. That's just simply when maybe there's a chemical imbalance. It could happen in seasons of life when there's hormonal changes. I am not qualified to deal with any of that, y'all, all right? Okay, it can also stem from the soul. The soul is our moods. It's our appetites. It's our emotions. If we've push down our emotions uh, most of the time if we keep pushing down our feelings one or two things there's more things that can happen but one or two things we will either implode which turns into depression or come on this is the one I fought with the most in my life will explode and it'll be anger okay uh, that as a result Anger is a result of unresolved issues in our life. Depression is taking those issues and stuffing them down and oftentimes not having a voice. That's not the only reason, but many times when it comes from the soul depression, those can be some of the things. And then lastly, uh, depression can come. It can be a spiritual thing also. Uh, if you're unsaved and you're in darkness, uh, you're more susceptible to that. But Christians, I want you to hear me. That if we give the devil a foothold in our life and there's areas of darkness in our life, we can be saved. We can be singing songs, sitting in church, taking notes, but we've allowed there to be dark secrets in our life that we don't pray with, share with anybody. I'm going to do a series on this next year, early in the year. Then we give the devil a foothold into our life. And Jude verse 6 says that the demons of hell have been relished to dark places. So when we have dark places in our life, we're giving the devil a playground. It's like your whole house is under light, but you got that one bedroom that's uh, dark, and we are giving the enemy a foothold. This is not demonic de uh, uh, possession, but this is giving the enemy of our soul access into our life, which creates oppression. All right? I know that was a lot right there. Are you guys still with me? 
All right, so I'm on, I, uh, that's as deep as I want to go there for now. Otherwise, I get on another subject. Um, and here's what happens. Oftentimes, I want to, and just a minute, I'm going to take a survey. Oftentimes, overzealous Christians will condemn you if you're depressed. How many of you have ever seen that? Let me see your hands. If you've ever seen or, or, or maybe experienced an overzealous Christian, you're depressed or you know, and, and, and they condemn you for it. Anybody ever witnessed that? It happens a lot in church. And, and, and I, I've had people leave the church when I teach on these subjects because their feelings are that Christians should never have that. We're saved, we got the joy of the Lord, we have peace. Yeah, but we still live in a fallen world, everybody. And what's always interesting to me is most of the time someone gets mad at me for talking about emotional healing, they're mad and condemning people that are in depression while they're wearing glasses, because their body doesn't work 100% right, but my mind and my soul and my emotions are a part of the same being, and sometimes my emotions need glasses. Come on now. So don't, don't criticize or condemn me because my heart is struggling right now, when all the while you're half blind, and that's okay. Come on now, right? You guys following what I'm saying? It's hypocritical. It's hypocritical to act that way because the mind is a part of the same body. Okay? And, uh, and by the way, even great Bible heroes, this is why I really feel free to preach on this because it's not just me and my weaknesses. I'm in some pretty good company. I mean, there's some great Bible. Let, let me just name a few. David, the man after God's own heart. The man. I'm talking about kill Goliath. I mean, he's like the bomb. You know what I'm talking about? He struggled with depression. I mean, read the book of Psalms. He wrote so much of it, and he is all over the place. He is like a roller coaster of emotions. He's really high up one day, and he's really low the other day. In Psalms, he says, my soul is downcast. Have you ever experienced it? My soul is downcast. Uh, Psalms 23 is perhaps one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. I remember there was a season in my life, I read it every single day for eight months. Every single day. Because I needed to know that even though I was in the valley of the shadow of death, I didn't have to fear no evil because He was with me. And He, watch this, He restores my soul. He heals my emotions. And He can heal your emotions too. Come on church, where are you at now? And by the way, while I'm on that subject, let me just see. He, he says he restores my soul. I just want you to know this. There is a difference between relief and restoration. Americans right now, we look for relief. But God wants to restore. Man, I'm sad, so I'm going to go look for some relief. I'm going to go look for a vacation. I'm going to go look for whatever. And not all the things are bad, but all they do is give you relief. And relief in and of itself is not bad. It's okay to get some relief. Go watch your favorite show. Go listen to your favorite worship, whatever. But many times we're looking for temporary relief. You go on vacation and you come back and your soul is still in turmoil because what you didn't need was sand under your feet. What you needed was healing and restoration of your heart right everybody come on now jeremiah was another one do I, I didn't list those guys david was one jeremiah was one here's a verse for you jeremiah writes in lamentations check this out i have been deprived of peace how many know this is going to be a bestseller huh i'm deprived of peace i can't wait to read that book i have forgotten what what prosperity is Come on now. So I say, my splendor is gone. My joy is gone. My purpose is gone. This is what he's saying here. And all that I had hoped for from the... When your hope is gone, the, the Bible says hope deferred makes the heart, the heart, the soul grow sick, all right? Uh, I remember my afflictions and my wandering, the bitterness and the gall. Man, just the terminology here. I will remember them and my soul is downcast. My soul is downcast within me. Mm. How about Paul? Paul writes most of the New Testament. That dude had some bad days. 
I mean, that guy had some really bad days. I, I don't even have a right to complain, right? I, look, at, here's just one. Second Corinthians, he says this. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience. Wait a minute. I don't want my brothers and sisters, I don't want my family to know I'm going through something. No, no, no. That's what the body of Christ is. Not everybody needs to know your downcast heart because not everybody can deal with what you're going through. But you need to have somebody in your life. That's a good place for an amen. Okay? And he said, we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure. Has anybody been under any pressure at all in the last year and a half? Anybody Anybody here? Okay, well, so, all right. Uh, and, and far beyond our ability to endure. Have you ever just felt like it's bigger than who you are? The world's problems right now are bigger than me. I'm just going to admit that. I'm going to admit that right now. And by the way, one of the things social media has done to us is has made us have access to every problem in the world. You were not meant to have access to every problem in the world. I know what's going on in Afghanistan is terrible. I know what's happening in this place and this place and this life and this life. It's all terrible. But we were not meant to carry all the world's burdens, everybody. Come on now. So that we despaired of life itself. Paul despaired of life itself. And how about Elijah? That's what we're going to build this series on is Elijah. Elijah. I mean, this guy is really the Mac Daddy. (laughs) That's Greek for he's an important guy. I think he's the most powerful, important prophet of the Old Testament. The reason I believe that is because Elijah was one that showed up with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. So he's like a pretty important dude. And and if you don't know his story, go read his story. I mean, for you to get up in the middle of a drought and call 450 prophets of Baal to a battle on a mountain, and whoever's God answers with fire, let it be he's is the God. Some of us can't even invite somebody to church much less have a fire challenge right and so Elijah does all this incredible crazy stuff at the time there was an evil king Ahab and his wicked witchy woman wife Jezebel and she is responsible for killing all of God's people now here he is he calls fire down from heaven God answers him on Mount Carmel he proves that he's God And the very next thing we read about, he's having this tremendous victory. And the very next thing we read about him is this. Check it out. 1 Kings 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. He told her everything that happened in that church service on Mount Carmel. God was there. God moved. God delivered. God did some cool stuff. He told her everything. And how he had killed all the prophets with a sword. That's a busy day. So Jezebel, watch this. Jezebel didn't even come. She just sent a Facebook message. Have you ever got discouraged over a Facebook message? Oh, I'm sorry. You guys are way more spiritual. I have. I've gotten an email that discouraged me before. I hate you. I mean, stuff like that. You know, I don't know. I don't like the woohoo. It just, that's not my personality. It kind of bums me out when somebody says they hate me, all right? So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. Do I got any more there? Oh, yeah. Elijah, now look, this is the prophet of power. He is He's making fun of the 450 prophets while they're trying to get their God. He's saying, cry a little loud. I mean, he's having a good old time. And one little witchy woman says something to him through a messenger, and it says Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. What has just happened to this guy? He ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Very key. He left his relationship behind. Ah, Uh, While he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, he came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. Tell me he's not depressed. Mm -hmm. I have had enough, Lord. (laughs) Have you ever said that? I've had enough. 
I've had enough. I said it in 2000. I've had enough. I don't want anything else to do with this thing that you call church because it's filled with mean people that always say mean things after I've tried my best to do nice things. Now, there's not all mean people, but there's a couple out there, all right? I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. Oh, okay. Here's what I want to do with the remaining time. I spent all that time just to set us up. Here's what I want to do. I want to pull out of that scripture I just read. You can go read it on your own, 1 Kings 19. And I want to identify how did Elijah slip into depression? How did he get there? What are some things we can pick up from his story so they can be warning signs in our life if we're heading down that way? As I told you, in 2020, I seen some warning signs in my life, and I had to get a hold of it fast. Because once you get over that, I'd start slipping really fast. And how many know a depressed pastor is not good for his church? How many know that, right? How was your day? Well, it's all right. You know, okay. All right, so that's not what you need. That's not what God desires for us. So here's all I want to do. I'm going to talk about how Elijah got into his depression today. And it's not all problems because in that we can begin to identify things in our life and then next two weeks, I'm going to talk about, next week, I'm going to talk about how you get out of that. And the third week, I want to talk about how we now live a life where we can prevent that. I was in it. God showed me how to get out of it through the life of Elijah. And I've lived a life with guardrails, making sure simple little things. Okay? Uh, I, and I'll share that with you later. Okay, so let me see if I can get six to you here in ten minutes. How many know that's impossible, right? All right. Uh, so, uh, um, so here we go. The first thing is uh, that led Elijah into his depression was that he had an out-of-balance lifestyle. I just told you all the things that he was doing. He was busy. There was a drought. He was up in the mountains. Ravens were feeding him. He had a private brook. He's challenging all the... He is out of balance. Now, I know there's such thing as a chemical imbalance in life, but I wonder sometimes, do we need to consider a life imbalance in our life? Chemical imbalances are one thing, and sometimes you need outside help to deal with that. But life imbalance, no one can live your life for you. Can I just make this statement? Here's, here, this is tweetable. You can take a picture of it. Our, li- our soul was not meant to run at the speed of a computer. The information highway, it's good, but you know what? We were never meant to run at that pace. goes back to my statement. I'm not supposed to have all of my heart given to this thing in Minnesota and this thing in Afghanistan and this thing in Washington, D.C. and this thing in L.A. All the while, I can't take care of my own backyard because I'm dealing with the speed of a computer that is allowing the world's issues. I'm, I'm not God. I can barely take care of my issues, everybody. Come on now. Does that, it doesn't mean I'm insensitive to what's going on. I'm just, I can't handle it all. It's an out-of-control lifestyle. Elijah depression came after he was exhausted. He was exhausted. We're going to see next week. It's crazy. You think God's going to give him some huge, major spiritual thing for recovery? The first thing he does is says, go to sleep. Yeah. Some of you don't need time at the cross. Some of you need a nap. All right, everybody, <laughs> I'm telling you, some, not right now, wake up, all right? So <laughs> watch what it, I love this verse, Ecclesiastes, this is powerful, Ecclesiastes chapter number four. This is a problem with Americans right here, watch. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. We're, we're, how come we have to have two handfuls? How, how come we have, how come? We're sacrificing our marriages, we're sacrificing our children, we're sacrificing our relationship with Christ because we can't even be a part of church anymore because I'm trying to get the other hand full. God has blessed you with one hand full, why do we have to get another hand full? I'd rather live a simple life with a little and invest in experiences, come on somebody, than have two handfuls and have heartache. That's what Ecclesiastes The wisest man that's ever lived wrote that down, okay? Number two, the second thing that got Elijah depressed was not only was his lifestyle out of balance, but he started comparing himself to others. Uh, Remember what he said? He said, I am no better. I think I got that. I am no better than my ancestors. He's starting to look around. He's comparing his life to other people's lives. 
And one of the things, and I'm not here to preach against technology. I'm on technology right now. Thank God for technology. But how many know what is good can also be bad, right? And, and, and so social media has, if it's done anything, it has caused us to live in the comparison game. The, you're comparing their highlight reel to your behind the scenes, their makeup reel to your, I'm trying to find the makeup reel. You know what I'm talking about, right? Everybody's taking pictures of their food, where they're eating while you're eating a bologna sandwich, right? With crusty old bread. You know what I'm talking about? you got to learn to run your race. I'll tell you a, a very transparent story. Uh, in the past, this whole thing has been an issue for me just because I've always been insecure about who I am and how I came up through ministry. I never went to Bible college, didn't go to seminary, uh, didn't have connection. I just started preaching when I was 19, and God opened doors, and here I am today, and you have to put up with me, all right? But so a, a few months ago, right in the middle of the pandemic, I'm preaching to a camera. I don't even know who goes to this church anymore. And so I go down to Phoenix to Dream City, my pastor's church, to preach. I walk in. Now Luke, who is Tommy's son, my pastor Tommy, his son, who's my age, is now pastoring that church. Me and Luke started in ministry at the same time. In fact, he was my very first speaking guest in my very first church, and I was his first church that he ever spoke at. He went to preach in Ohio. Our churches were kind of neck and neck, doing some of the same things, building programs and growing. Then he left there and went to L.A. Or, or, or went to, uh, yeah, LA and and I, I kept up with Then he went and he took over at Dream City Church, and I went there to preach. And just for a minute, I had to grab a hold of myself. Just for a minute, I started comparing. How many know when you start comparing, you're in big trouble? I, I, there was just this minute I was riding around in the car with him, and I was thinking, doggone it, we started at the same place. And I walked into his auditorium that night to preach into his sanctuary with 8,500 seats, and I thought, well, good grief, I can't even keep 200 seats straight around here, you know? And I started thinking about what he's doing compared to what I'm doing but how many know that's exactly where the devil wants you to be? How many know, for me, I had to remind myself, I am right where God wants me, in the right place, at the right time, running my race. Come on, everybody. Comparison will mess you up. Galatians talks about this. Galatians says in verse chapter 6, each one should test their own actions, okay? Uh, your own actions, it's you and God. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. You are uniquely made. Psalms 130, uh, 139, you are uniquely made. Before you were in your mother's womb, God formed you. Okay, there's a bunch to that, all right? Um, so I, I think we need, I think one of the things we have to do is be intentional about what we don't know. You don't have to know everything. You don't have to know what everybody ate for dinner. You don't have to know about everybody's vacation. You don't have to know that somebody just got a new pair of shoes. You don't have to know all of that stuff. It is a spiritual gift to just not know everything. Come on, somebody. I turn off my phone now more than ever. I have a Sabbath every Friday. I'm going to talk about it in this series. I don't do any technology. I don't take phone calls. I don't read emails because I'm on Friday. I'm getting ready for this weekend. And I don't want to be mad or half-cocked at something because of a nasty email or I had to take 23 phone calls. You deserve the best me that I can present. Come on, everybody. Right? And your family deserves the best you. Right? And and so get rid of them push notes. I don't get any notifications anymore. You might have emailed me, and it's 20 days later. You know why? Ignorance is bliss. Call the church, all right? That's all I got to say. I don't know what to tell you, all right? Because what happens is I'm trying to write a message that's going to help hundreds of people while one person doesn't have a life, and they got nothing to do. So they're, hey, what you doing? Hey, what you doing? Hey, what you doing? And I answer their thing, and a pop-up comes. And how many know when the pop-up comes, there's an ad that you got to sit through first, and, and oh, that looks curious, and click, and that opens 10 more ads. I don't have time for all of that, everybody, and neither do you. Come on, say a good amen, right? I don't want to know some things. People ask me, oh, did you hear about? No, I didn't. Nope, I don't know. Sometimes ignorance is bliss. If it's something vital, somebody that really loves me will let me know. 
Come on, Mark, you'll drive to my house, pull in, knock on the door the old-fashioned way and say, Dude, the church just burned down. Turn on your phone. Right? Okay? All right. Now, I'm having a little bit of fun just to make my point. Number three, the third thing that Elijah did to get in depression is he was ruminating in negative self-talk. I couldn't wait to use this word, ruminating. I'm so fired up about that. You know I'm a city boy, and I, I just learned about ruminating. I'm like, oh, I got, oh, I got to do this. This is like a cow chewing its cud. It swallows it. Come on, you already know this, Skagit Valley. Swallows it, the grass after it's chewed it, vomits it back up, chews it some more, swallows it down, vomits it back up. Here we go round the mulberry bush. The, I, I mean, it's like this vicious cycle, swallow, puke, swallow, puke. No, swallow, puke, chew, swallow, puke, chew. I mean, how fun does that? And listen, every time it comes back up, it tastes worse. Did you miss the point? Every time it comes back up. It tastes worse. Elijah said, he said, I'm the only good guy left. Did you hear that when I read it? I'm the only one. But he knew it wasn't true. Elijah knew that it wasn't true because the Bible tells us that there were 70,000 that had not bowed to the prophet of Baal. 70,000. I'm going to talk in the series that I just talked about early in next year about how to take captive our negative thoughts second corinthians 10 says take every thought captive this is something i still have to do in my life it's crazy i'm in my mid 50s and i still whenever i have a discouraging day a voice from 45 years ago will want to come back up isn't that crazy you have to take every thought captive i have to take thoughts I'm being very transparent with you. I have to take thoughts on captive usually on Mondays. Mondays are usually the day I battle. They just did a study on preachers. They say that preachers use the same amount of adrenaline that an NFL football player uses for a football game when they're getting ready to deliver their heart to the congregation. And so what happens is then that adrenaline goes down and I start reevaluating. This is me. Pray for me. I'm not perfect. I don't know why you come here, but you do. And I'm going to keep preaching as long as you show up. But every Monday for me, I think about, oh, I wish I wouldn't have said that. I wish I wouldn't have been trying to be silly on that. I wish I would have said this better. Oh, I forgot to make that point. Doggone it, I went too long. Doggone it, I yelled too much. Not to mention, somebody else reinforces that and say, you know, you went too long. You know what I'm talking about, right? Okay, my wife knows this about me, so on Monday, man, she just, she'll repeat over and over, man, I got so much out of that yesterday. My overseers know this about me, so they usually call me on Monday. Come on, everybody, right? You got to know people that know you that way. Can you handle me being that real? I go to Philippians chapter 4 all the time. Think on these things, whatever's true, not the things I make up in my mind. Does anybody else make up things in their mind? It doesn't have to be possible, <laughs> It just has to be probable, you know, like, is it? Okay, so Philippians 4, think on these things. Okay, as I told you, I'm not going to get there. i got a couple more, though. Here we go. Number four, Elijah, um, uh, he was in depression because of the inability to process pain in a healthy way. Pain is going to come, everybody. If you're waiting for the perfect day to be in a good mood, it's not going to happen. Bad days come to everyone. Don't let them take you as a victim in your life. Um, and here's something to remember. There's purpose in the pain. So uh, I, me and my, uh, my son and daughter-in-law today, we were having this discussion about oftentimes, at least I've found in my life, when I'm going through pain, it's because God has taken me through a classroom because he has something greater for me, but he's trying to get me ready to handle and carry the weight of the blessing because every blessing also comes with a burden. Hello, come on. Oh, God, give me a house. You got a house. Now I got the burden of mowing the yard. Okay? So maybe the pain is causing you to be stronger so you can handle what God has for you. Okay, I hope that makes sense. Um, 
because i got to go to the next one. Number five is Elijah was in depression because he was living life alone. He was isolated. Now, by the way, if you're struggling with depression and you say, well, I'm not, that's not any of mine. Again, I'm not trying to exhaust it. Uh, g- dive into 1 Kings 19 and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you, is there any reasons that I'm struggling repetitively with this depression or discouragement? Okay, I can't exhaust it, all right? I mean, it's taken me an hour to get six to you, okay? So, um, living life alone. Remember what it said? Remember I said there's a clue? It said he left his servant behind. He left his friendship behind and went a whole day without him. Now a day, that's a, that, that's a long journey all by himself with nobody there after an emotional roller coaster ride. Let me say it this way. You're only as healthy as your connectedness. And that's why I hate what has happened in 2020. Because somehow, I'm not casting stones. I love you enough to say this for those of you who are watching online. You're only as healthy as your connectedness. And watching church online is not connected. I thank God for the technology. I thank God you can watch the message. God has done some great things through the technology. But friends, that is not connectedness. You need to shake a hand. You need to high five. You need to hug somebody. You need to stand beside somebody and sing. You need to pray with somebody at a cross. You need to hear the atmosphere. You need to sense the Holy Spirit in the room. you got to get connected. Come on now. All right. Psychologists say this is the most lonely generation that's ever walked the earth. Yet we walk around with this computer in our hand and we can call anybody anytime. Elijah had left his servant behind. Okay. Please, I'm begging you. I am. I am begging you to get back in the habit of coming to church. I used to make an excuse because it was because of the pandemic and it was the this and it was the that. Just come on. We're all, come on. You need to be here. And you need to get over the strongholds and the excuses. You, I'm not telling you this because I'm going to preach any different if you're here. I want you here. God wants you here. He created this thing called the church. He told us to assemble ourselves together. We simply need one another. Aaron gave an illustration last week. I'm going to up the ante. He talked about losing his pinky. I'm going to talk about cutting my arm off. I cut my arm off and lay it on the stage. My body's still going to function. But my, my body is still going to live. My arm is not going to live. It's going to die. I can't cut my arm off and lay it aside, go try to function, and come back six months later and say, okay, it's time to put you back on. Come on. It's not going to work. Right, everybody? The body's going to keep living. Some people are mad because, oh, I, let, I've been, I haven't been in church, and the, and the church is still moving and grooving and happening and things, and I feel left behind. That's a lie of the enemy. Get attached to the body. Come back to the body of Christ. Come on. Romans 12, 5. Uh, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts and one body. We, are to, we belong to one another. Okay, this is the last one. Number six, number six, number six, number six. What does number six say? Number six says, there is a real devil. That's why there's discouragement. I believe, this is my personal belief. You can throw this out. I personally believe that the greatest tool the enemy uses is discouragement. Maybe that's my personal experience. I don't know. It's just my belief. You can throw that one out. But I do want to say this. I'm not the kind of preacher that goes around talking about the devil a lot. I think the devil gets way too much credit. I don't talk about the devil a lot. I'd rather talk about God than the devil. But I do want to remind you, there is a real devil. There, I said there is a real devil. We're not here playing Boy Scout Club, everybody. There is a real battle for your soul. There is a real devil that wants your marriage destroyed, wants your finances destroyed, wants your soul destroyed, wants you to hate God because God didn't answer some kind of prayer, wants you to hate God because church didn't do it the way you wanted church to do it. He is trying to rob, kill, and destroy you, and he's using the tool of discouragement and depression. And I beg you not to let him do it because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Come on, can I get an amen on that? All right. Last thing I'm going to say, I want to give you this little tool. I know I've gone a little long, uh, but I want to give you this one thing. Christians, lean in for this. Because Christians, if you meet somebody that is in depression, please, I beg you, do not try to help them with these methods I'm getting ready to give you. 
because I want the person that is discouraged and depressed to walk into this house and not feel condemned because they're not jumping around like you. So don't do these things. Number one, don't tell them to try harder. Don't give them a pep talk. You can do it. Don't, no, no, you can't. The devil or God won't give you more than you can handle. That is not in the Bible. Quit saying that. Oftentimes you will have more than you can handle so that you'll lean on God and recognize He's our deliverer, not you. Come on now. All right, number, number two, please don't over-spiritualize it. Don't over-spiritualize it. Well, if you just had more faith, you wouldn't be going through that. I, mm, ah, I just want to knock somebody out sometimes, right? That, that is the most condemning thing you can say to somebody that's struggling. Can I get an amen, somebody? It is the, it, it, it's just like, oh, you broke your arm. It's your fault. You're an idiot. You broke your arm. I mean, what? Okay? Don't over Don't tell somebody they need more faith. Elijah? Hello, Elijah? Elijah just called fire down from heaven. There's a little faith going on there. I, I'm not even close to that. I haven't even called a spark down from heaven yet, okay? So, so if Elijah was susceptible, he had a lot of faith, okay? Number, number, number three, deflecting. Like this, well, you have so many other blessings. You just, there's so many other good things you should. Yeah, but that doesn't change. I'm still hurting. I know. I got a job. I know I got a house. I know I got, that's great. But I'm still hurting. Okay, number, number four, don't say this. Don't tell them that it could be worse. That might push them over the edge. Really? Ah! Right? Don't tell them that. It, it, listen, have you ever... Have you ever felt a certain way and you can't communicate what you feel to somebody else? That's how they feel. And when you say it could be worse, you have no idea what they're going through at the moment. They're feeling, it might, they might tell you the physical circumstances and it might not look like a big deal to you, but you have no idea what they're feeling. Don't say, I know how you feel. Don't say that. Don't say, because you don't, we all process things differently from one another. Your threshold might be here. Theirs might be here because they haven't grown emotionally in that area. Or they have old wounds that have been reopened. And it's not just what they're going through now. It's 20 years of what they've gone through. So don't tell them. Don't, don't, don't say, I know how you feel. You can say, I can only imagine what you're going through. But God knows how you feel. Okay? Can I do a couple more since I'm on a rant here number five uh don't reduce it by telling them how bad it could be or or what somebody else had. you know it could be worse or or okay so just don't reduce it but like um i heard somebody the other day say this well at least i don't live in afghanistan well what how did that help me i've been guilty of saying this well, I know I shouldn't feel bad about fill in the blank because there's fill in the blank. I know I shouldn't feel bad about having to wear a mask because there's children in Africa that don't even have food. It doesn't matter what other people are going through. Some, one, uh, somebody very dear to me said to me one time because I tried to make that excuse, not the mask, but, uh, you know, I, well, I shouldn't feel bad because... Other people have it worse. No, they said, no, no, no. You still feel what you feel regardless of what somebody else is going through. Remember, don't compare. Don't compare on the good side. Don't compare on the bad side either. You deal. You're made your way. You, you're supposed to be sensitive to certain things. God might have made you that way. Okay? All right. And then uh, what else do I have? I think that's all I'm going to do. Is that good? I'm going to end right there. Will you receive that tonight? Will you receive that? All right.